Are you confused about real food and what's healthy and good for the planet? Do you need the facts about local, organic, and sustainable food? Well, get ready to change the way you eat. Get ready for The Appropriate Omnivore with Aaron Zober. Hello, and welcome to another episode of The Appropriate Omnivore. I'm your host, Aaron Zober. I recently published an article on my blog about the best sustainable butchers in Los Angeles. Butcher shops are a great way to know more about where your food comes from. They can let you know about everything from the farm where the meat originated, how the animals were raised, how the meat was processed, and even advice on the best ways to cook it. Here with me today is Eagle Yu, one of my picks for best sustainable butchers in Los Angeles. Eagle will soon be launching the butcher shop Meat and Essentials in San Marino. Eagle, welcome to the program. Hey Aaron, how you doing? Thanks for having me on. Excellent, how are you? Good, just a uh, nice little afternoon, working on some bone broth so we can make some Sunday dinner. You know, got some duck bones going, so mm. just cooking away. All sounds great, and I know you're in the middle of starting up a new butcher shop, so I appreciate that you're able to make the time for this program while that's going on. I am. The weeks have been, you know, dealing with all the agencies and going over equipment, a lot of details and nuances that I kind of knew about, but just really detailed stuff that if anybody ever wants to start a business, you better get ready for. <laughs> like a lot of anxiety. That's often what I hear about people starting up a business. I think especially starting up a brick and mortar, I imagine that a lot of it is issues that you didn't realize would arise just in terms of, I'm sure, the zoning and the permits? Yeah, the zoning permits, I kind of had an idea. The agencies that you need to deal with, I've dealt with before in terms of um, other aspects of business. But but yeah, the planning was the thing that kind of caught me off guard um, in terms of doing the drawings, getting all the equipment list, um, having all that information ready to go before you submit. Um, it was really more detailed than I think I was kind of ready for. I knew what type of equipment I needed to have to um, start a butcher shop. But the power output and uh, clearances of everything, uh, just lots and lots of details that you have to know before you can actually submit um, into like the health department in the city. So um, I'm definitely going to give a little bit of the detail uh, of, of the journey of starting this business on Instagram and social media as I kind of go along when I get more time. So hopefully, you know, it'll help people prepare them a little bit for what's to come, you know, with meeting essentials. I think so, because that's a big jump going into starting your own business. And in regards to how you started this, how did you first get involved with butchery in the first place? It's been a while. I had a completely different career before this in the entertainment media with computer programming. I used to be a DVD programmer. Um, and in 2013, just got to a point where I felt, you know, with the different formats, um, the industry was getting a little more volatile. Um, but fortunately, it afforded me the ability to really take a moment, uh, take a step back and look at my life and decide whether I wanted to stay in the industry or pursue another challenge um, for, you know, just my personal experience and life and life goals. So 
I decided to start researching, you know, going down in the food industry. As I did that, it kind of uh, drew a lot of light to, you know, as you know, kind of in the appropriate omnivore sense, um, just how kind of like not good some of the foods that are out there um, are for your body. So that, you know, I kind of had a focus and a real interest in meats. And um, as you know, like the meat industry and big ag can be pretty scary. So um, I found this movement of whole animal butchery and it really kind of spoke to me. And I went over to New York, um, talked to some people, uh, found an apprenticeship and I was lucky enough to have the ability to afford pursuing a new path in life. And I just jumped uh, feet in and drove to New York with my dog and decided to just start training. And so then how did the training influence the way you became as a butcher and a cook? The training, you know, really brought back a lot of things that I grew up with, um, being of Chinese descent. Um, you know, a lot of non-Western cultures are kind of like, you know, as you, as you would like to think, kind of the forefathers of like whole animal um, sustainable eating because they eat, you know, every, they're, they're used to eating every part of the animal as part of their culture and cuisine. Um, growing up with that and then getting into nose to tail whole animal butchery, it really spoke to that part of me, brought back a lot of those memories that I, I didn't even notice before, um, how you know, things like the way that to fully utilize whole animals, like there's a lot of soups, there's a lot of stews, a lot of uh, offal that needs to get used. And just thinking back to childhood, I realized that, you know, that's what I kind of grew up eating my whole life. So through my last career as well, I was able to travel, travel quite a bit, um, go to different parts of America, as well as um, take some trips to uh, Asia and stuff, and it just kind of all came together, just a culmination of all these experiences at the butcher block and being able to kind of explore and see how to apply and to recreate all those dishes that I've had in the past. It was just so interesting to me um, once I jumped into it and still learning every day, so it's been a fun journey. Me too. I'm still learning every day as well. That's part of why I do the podcast is to learn from other people they have on my show to expand my knowledge. And I imagine that travels help a great deal. I think of a lot of the different food authors that I like, and travel's always a big part of these books where they learn about these different cultures. Yeah, I mean, it really started, some of it really sparked with, you know, those shows that like Bourdain and Zimmerman did, really diving into how exotic certain foods are and how when you travel... Instead of doing the touristy stuff and falling into the tourist traps, really diving into the cultures themselves and finding out where the locals eat, the local cuisines, the stuff that's not fanciful, like a lot of the peasant food, the street food. And that's the stuff that really kind of like, you know, speaks to people, I think, and is affordable to people as well. Um, so that's part of why I do this is because I just love you know, learning and applying every day uh, and making different foods. And do you have any specific chefs that you see as an influence on who you are now? You know, the influential chefs, I think, I mean, maybe not chefs, but definitely, like I said, like, you know, Bourdain, I follow Zimmerman on his social media and stuff. Uh, but 
what I've kind of learned, and you know, this is not to sound like you know, cocky or anything, but I think the industry, you know, does need to kind of like rethink some of the things and the ways that they're doing dishes and treating meats and cuts. Um, and yeah, you know, I, I kind of hope to do that with my shop. But you know, in terms of influences, I like you know people like uh, Chris Cosentino. You know, he was really interesting. Yes, love him. I was thinking of him. Yeah, him. You know, Zimmerman. I like David Chang. He's such a nostalgic chef, um, and he's so kind of like Asian in his practices that I can't help but like him. You know, through my last career, I went and visited a lot of fancy chefs. Um, you know, all the you know Michelin star restaurants and stuff. Thomas Keller. Um, you know, all the fancy plate chefs and stuff, and Wiley Dufresne uh, with the molecular gastronomy. Uh, they were really interesting in, at, at that phase of my life, so I, I definitely think that they had an influence uh, on some level. Um, I even went out to Spain to, uh, you know, Arzac and Marguerite, um, and I tried to go to El Bui to see those guys over there, but um, didn't get a chance before they closed. But just the overall, you know, people that have influenced the industry really kind of speak to me in that way. And so now with all these travels and also having spent some time in New York, now you're back in L.A. and you're starting up the butcher shop, Mean Essentials. So what do you see as the focus of your upcoming butcher shop? So this journey that I went on, you know, that, that really started with meat um, has really turned into kind of like a wider culinary pursuit Um of just being able to share my experiences and expertise with the community that I'm living in. From things to the porchettas that, you know, I spent a while, um, you know, doing pop-up dinners for and, and private dinners, um, to whole animal hog roasts, um, you know, just these types of things. Along with like the market, I just want to open people's eyes, open people's experiences, um, give them, you know, the fundamentals through all the bits and pieces of meat that can really help evolve and make a better home cook, um, to give them the tools, you know. Um, I don't think, you know, a lot of stores kind of offer that kind of expertise and product to assist people's, um, you know, the dishes that they are want to explore at home. So I think bringing awareness to foods and local vendors um, as well as just uh, helping expand knowledge uh, in the culinary sense for the home cook in the San Gabriel Valley because I don't really see any other store around here that's going to be like the essentials. I would agree with that because we do see more butcher shops popping up and specifically butcher shops in regards to sustainable meat, but a lot of those are typically in Santa Monica. I know there's a lot and there's some in... Hollywood, Fairfax area, and there may maybe been a couple in, like, northeast side, but, yeah, the San Gabriel Valley is, I think, a pretty untapped area that I think it's smart to start one up there. Well, you know, what's interesting is that in society, you know, what's out there now at grocery stores, obviously, you know, we see a lot of grass-fed meats everywhere. Um, you see stuff like pasture-raised, but you see these terms um, out there now. But the problem is that just by having the product out there, people don't necessarily fully understand or can 
you know, really be able to trust uh, whether it is actually what it says it is. For example, like grass-fed meats. Just because it's grass-fed doesn't necessarily mean that it was bred humanely, that it was actually on a farm. You know, it could be dry grass, fresh grass, and stuff like that. But people see it at a store, they think, you know, the, the literature that's on there makes it what it is, um, and, you know, they're comfortable buying it. Um, but, you know, they, they don't have anybody to really verify or ask questions and speak to and have a relationship with to know what is it you know from an actual farm how long did it travel to get here you know what did this animal eat you know those little details is kind of like what you know the relationship that I want to bring to a customer in, in my shop as as old-time butchers used to be able to do you know for people in the previous generation so uh, I think that's been completely lost uh, and with all the information and disinformation out there. These types of shops like that I'm kind of trying to open are more of what needs to be happening right now. It is something that's completely lost. And like you said, we've had butchers way back. This is not really a new concept. I think I would say butchers is actually one of the oldest concepts in terms of where people used to get its meat, but it was something that was lost with industrialization and supermarkets and then big box mega stores all of that was lost where you didn't even have eventually even a butcher section in a lot of these stores. You just have prepackaged meats based on the cuts that they want to give you. Yeah, and the thing is, I think ultimately, who, who's to blame for all this? Is the marketing uh, agencies and marketing companies where they're so good at how to get people to believe you know, one thing or another and, and to buy a product. I think they're the ones that have completely led people down the wrong path, taking the focus away from the health and nutrition of foods rather than just the glitz and glamour and the name and the words that they're throwing in your face. So yeah, as we've seen with this whole year, people's health is just not at the level that it should be at in this country. A lot of companies out there just aren't offering products to really you know, help um, promote uh, health and nutrition enough. I think a refocus needs to be brought back with stores like mine. Yes, that's exactly where you come in. I see a butcher having a number of advantages, and one is providing meats that you list the sources of and people know where they come from, but then there's an extra step of people have the chance to ask questions as well as get specifically the meats that they want. Yeah, I mean, look, ultimately, when people shop and shop for groceries and get meats and stuff, it comes down to ultimately a trust that they either have to settle with you know, within themselves, um, you know, when they're buying at Whole Foods or wherever, or, you know, gaining even more trust in being able to have a conversation with an actual butcher at a butcher shop that has a relationship with the actual farmer that they're sourcing from to be able to, you know, relay a confidence uh, in the customer and all of us that, you know, hey, either I've been to the farm, I've talked extensively with the farmer, I, for, for me to source, you know, where I source from, I also have to have that trust with the farmer, you know? So it's a transfer of trust, this whole grocery business, right? Mm-hmm. So that's what we're going to try to focus on and bring back, I think. You were talking earlier about grass-fed, and that is something which I do think more people are, are aware of the term grass-fed. I think grass-fed, like organic, it's something that's become a starting point, but there's more to that. I know... One thing I've seen with grass-fed is sometimes you'll ask a farmer, is your 
meat grass-fed, and they'll be like, well, sure, all cows start as grass-fed. So we've seen now that we need more specific terms such as 100% grass-fed, grass-fed, and grass-finished. And I think the most recent is also not just looking for meat which is fed grass every day of its life, but also finding meat which is regenerative, and we are seeing a number of different certifications for that. Where do you see what you look for in meats in terms of all that, in terms of 100% grass-fed and regenerative? Look, in my experience, there's so many factors that go into making a good piece of meat, raising good livestock, raising cows, raising pigs. The animals, they all have different diets, uh, specifically with beef. Like, you know, it, it went from the, the grass-fed to pasture-raised to 100% grass-fed, grass-finished. And now you're right, like it's uh, regenerative farming that's kind of calling out to people. When I look for stuff, again, like I think ultimately we have to have trust in that farmer. What I look for is a farmer that doesn't try to bullshit me in terms of uh, trying to sell me on giving me those keywords that everybody else is, is falling for, you know? Before, when I was like selling off farmers, like it's what I really looked for when I actually just cold called a farmer and be like, hey, tell me about your stuff, like tell me about your farm. The one thing that would, would set me off that they're bullshitting me is that if I asked to come visit them at the farm, that they would not invite me to be, be open to that. Because if they're not open to invite you to the farm and see the actual animals and see how they're being raised, it kind of tells you that they have some kind of hide, right? Absolutely. So what I look for is kind of like, there's a bit of a read on people. Um, and ultimately that read and that conversation will tell me whether I want to work with them rather than solely just all the information thrown at me and be like, yeah, this is what we do. This is what we do. Uh, absolutely. Like, you know, please buy our product. If they're just trying to sell me on the words and they're not trying to have a relationship and really sound like they, you know, want to have you out to convince you, um, that relationship is going to dictate for me who I really source from. And what are some of the farms that you'll be sourcing from? Fortunately, there's a lot of farms that are, you know, coming around more that seem to be, you know, doing it right. Um, I read up on this quite a bit, and because I do uh, have it in my kind of like search algorithm, uh, more and more kind of like pop up, so it just forces me to read more and more. But, you know, the place I work at right now, we get from um, this place called Richard's Grass-Fed. Yes. They are the first certified regenerative agricultural farm in California, like fully certified. I've tried it. It's been pretty tasty. It's been pretty good. I haven't talked to them myself or been out there, but uh, my friend Jared has. So, uh, you know, I trust that he has a pretty good judgment. We're on the same page about this kind of stuff. You know, we also are pretty comfortable with, you know, Marin Sun. They seem to have a network of farms. It can be a little inconsistent at times um, through the different farmers that they use, but, you know, we like to think that, you know, they're pretty uh, stand-up people. Another one, you know, you see the other ones uh, like Sunrise Ranch, um, Rainbow Ranch, uh, Pasture Bird for Chicken, you know, they're pretty good. Uh, Gone Straw over out in Riverside, uh, Stemple Creek, um, you know, for pigs, uh, Stepladder Ranch, uh, Devil's Gulch, uh, Anderson's Lamb up in Oregon. They're all pretty legit places that I want to try to get uh, in touch with and working with. A lot of good sources. I'm familiar with a good number of them, especially some of the ones you mentioned being Richard's. Yes, they're the one that 
has the certified land market for regenerative agriculture from the Savory Institute. And yeah, I'm also familiar with Marin Sons and Pasture Bird. We've had the founder on the program. So a lot of good choices. And something I noticed about a lot of these is that majority of them are California, or like you mentioned one, which is Oregon. So that's the West Coast, Pacific Coast. Is that also an important requirement that you try to be as local as possible? It used to be a big thing to try to get it as, as close as possible, and I understand the impact that that, that has. The thing you got to understand, though, is that you know being in LA, the farms are just so far away. Some of these smaller farmers are just they don't have the distribution channel to even get the stuff to you to get into LA. So, you know, that's one of the biggest challenges in getting you know some of the product that you would like to get, but unless I you know, go pick it up like I did before, where I had to rent a refrigerated truck just to go get a couple heads of, you know, beef and pig, um, you know, which cost me $600 a trip by myself for such a small haul, like the shipping companies just wouldn't do it. That's unfortunately a factor that, you know, will play into whether we can get some of this stuff, you know, um, as much as I would like to get, you know, all the local stuff, some of the local stuff's not that great either, right? I don't know. It, farming the livestock in a, in a desert in Southern California doesn't really yield super tasty beef sometimes. So it's a bit of a catch. Do we source from a little farther away to get a better product, still supporting a good farm? Or do we you know, really try to have that environmental impact and get the local stuff even though it's not that good? It's, it's a hard thing to argue. You can argue you know, so many different ways on that one. Right. Well, when I say local, I guess I forget that a lot of people think of local as the 100-mile radius. So I guess I'm thinking more regional because it is still the the state of California or like even Oregon is at least still this side of the country. But I guess I'm talking about regional as opposed to sourcing from, say, somewhere like New Zealand or Uruguay, where there is a lot of grass-fed meat from there. Yeah. I mean, look, from a consumer's perspective you know we would all love to support the, the right things and you know we see these places like well, why, why can't you get this place why can't you get this place and ultimately it comes down to like i said like you know just those distribution factors but you know as a business you also want to offer you know the best product to your customers right so you know take for example like something like wagyu am i going to offer that you know as a business person you debate that because ultimately that's a really popular product right? Is it the best thing for the consumer? You would do your due diligence and research, you know, where you're getting it from and how it's raised and make sure that everything's as humane as possible as you would like it. But it's not going to be coming from California, right? Right. So, you know, how do you get that product? Because there is a demand for that, right? And if we don't offer it, this is what I'm trying to wrap my head around. It's like, we don't offer it, then they're going to get it from somewhere else, right? Mm -hmm. People are going to want what they want. So, I think as a butcher and a business person, it's like trying to get them the best version of that product that I feel comfortable with um, within a legitimate uh, distance. But if it is from a, like a really well-farmed place from New Zealand or Japan, and we're able to make those relationships um, and they're bringing it over anyway, why not let customers experience, like that's what a store does, right? Is to give people kind of like an experience sometimes that they, don't necessarily have all the time have access to. I'm not going to say that I'm going to rule it out, right? I'm not going to rule out any product, but I do have like a preference.
preference of like what I would like to have locally if I were able to get it. Right, I do. I go through similar things with my blog in terms of the best product articles that I write. Because at time, you know, I'll write an article like the best butchers or the best ranchers in LA, and those it's clearly local, and it's very much the cleanest food, natural. But then other times I do like to write articles about some types of comfort foods and some that you may look at as compromised foods because I feel like people are still going to want certain snack foods, certain desserts, and it's important to me that I recommend the best choices they can make when it comes to those types of foods. I mean, look at it this way. Like, you know, are, are we going to try to, like, if the whole local movement, you know, are we going to try to argue that California has the best farmers and know how to raise the best livestock that yields the best meat? Absolutely not. You know, there's such a big world out there. Like, right. <laughs> there's no way that we had the best beef in the world. You know, this is, no. Like, there's going to be so much more good, well-raised stuff out there, absolutely, hands down. So we like to support what we can, and it's still, at the end of the day, like, I think we're not going to, you know, have the best experience trying to lock ourselves into any one channel. We want to give a good experience as well of a product and try to balance that in the end um, as a store. It's impossible to achieve perfection, and like you were talking about earlier in the show, it's a matter of constantly learning new things and learning what works best, what connects with customers, and just learning about what the best practices are, where do they come from, which farms, how are they done. Yeah, and ultimately we're not going to make everybody happy, and we're not going to service 100% of the population. It's just impossible. These days, you are going to get one or two of those people that come to your store and really question and make a stir about, like, oh, you think you're supporting this, but you have this product, and it's like, okay, dude, like, <laughs> come on. Like, is it that bad? Or are you just trying to be heard and make a stink? I'm definitely not going to try to offer any, like, industrialized kind of, like, stuff, but if it comes from a little farther away and it's a really good product, I'm probably not going to not offer it just because it came from... Exactly. Not all of the best stuff is from California, like you said. And I mean, I think of two of my favorite farmers. They are on the East Coast, Joel Salatin and Will Harris. And you know, there's a lot that can be learned from them. Yeah. Dude, look, like, around the country, we don't have any country smoke can, right? Right. That's a damn good product. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> right? And I think those, like Benton and those guys, they are in touch with a lot of good farmers out in their region and using really good you know, animals and farmers for the product. So can we get that over here as California? Like, you know, why not? Why, why deprive ourselves of that product um, just because it's from the East Coast, right? So things like that. You know, we want to eat healthy and eat right and support our state and stuff, but we want to live and have some fun too. All sounds good. In addition to meat and poultry, what are some other products that we can see at Meat and Essentials? Well, I mean, other than a butcher shop, we'll have uh, produce, um, a lot of grocery essentials. That's why we kind of went with that name. We're also going to get a beer and wine license to try to get, you know, again, have some fun and have some experiences. Um, you know, some local breweries and wine from producers. Essentially, I want to bring kind of like an all-around one-stop shop experience along with the focus of meats. Um, so everything kind of like pairs that way. Along with my passion project of 
the butcher shop, we're adding in a full kitchen as well as a coffee counter for, you know, one, to make some fun stuff for people to be able to take away, put on the shelves, some, you know, grab-and-go kind of like stuff. Coffee counter will have bread and produce and hummus and sauces that you can grab, tomatoes, pastas, you know, so many good places like Semolina, great pastas from there, craft breweries that are popping up will carry some of that stuff. You know, nothing crazy, but just some good stuff that you can just come in, get your meat, see some other stuff that will go with your meal, and pick it all up at the same place. And being in walking distance to a lot of residential, the residential area of San Marino, hopefully it'll be really, really convenient for people to be able to do that rather than have to go, you know, to those big stores. All the items you're talking about, all of the essentials, as we could call them, sound great to me. I'd love to hear more of what you're serving on the menu. I know a lot of butcher places, I think part of what helps a lot of them get discovered and people also coming in to buy the meats is also if you can order a burger there. Are you looking at doing that? Yeah. I mean, I've cooked long enough that I'll throw down with any burger place in L.A. that we can make a really good burger. So, yeah, we'll definitely have some burger options. It's easy. I mean, if I have the meat counter there, I can make a burger you know, any time of day. Right. Oh, yeah. It'll be interesting to see what kind of people are going to be stopping in, whether it's going to be kids in the afternoon, maybe on the way home from school, they want to grab a quick burger, you know, we can come up with something uh, fun and fast for them. I think one of the biggest challenges for me in turning around a lot of product that I don't want to waste will be trying to, I'm going to do a big campaign to try to get people to cook with more, like, rendered fat. Oh, I love it. There will be a lot of that, and... I might even just have so much of it that I probably won't sell, but if I put it in smaller containers that I can kind of give away with purchases and incentivize people, um, I mean, it's it's got my fat and bones um, and stock is going to be a hard thing to really kind of go through, you know. And hopefully I can work with, like, yeah, I mean, you know Elena. Oh, yeah, know her very well. They make their own bone stock, um, and if they want fats, maybe we can collaborate. Um, and hopefully, I can make those relationships with a lot of you know, some local businesses that you know are interested in utilizing this kind of stuff. So, um, if they can take some of it to help me buy it at cost or something like that, and they want to rent it at their place or do something with it, make soaps or whatever. You know, what we've seen at other butcher shops is. Bones go well for pet owners, which don't mind spending, you know, some money on their pets. So <laughs> that's a good way to get rid of bones sometimes, other than uh, cooking in soups. We'll see how many of the Chinese grandmas and stuff will come and pick up bones to make their soups for me. <laughs> I think it would also be great if you could get some of these restaurants around your shop to start using the fats to cook things in, because so many restaurants still fry it in all of the bad oils. In addition... Do you think you'd consider maybe like making fries cooked in tallow and serving them there? Oh yeah, we definitely could. Uh, I'm not sure if I'm going to get like a, you know, one of those big deep fryers because our kitchen is kind of small, but we can definitely do some fries in um, like a large pot kind of like thing. We'll see how big involving we get up to to do that kind of stuff. But yeah, we can definitely yeah, do some old school McDonald's style tallow fries, you know. <laughs> Yes. I know one of the farmers, um, T&D Farms, they always have like a ton of um, potatoes whenever I'm at the farmer's market. So yeah, you know, we can do some of 
maybe even skillet fried potatoes in the mornings and tallow or lard, it'll all be good. People wonder why McDonald's french fries don't taste as good, and Julia Child even acknowledged it. It was when they stopped cooking in tallow. Yeah. Oh, for sure. I mean, beef tallow uh, just has that kind of unique flavor that ties in. And I don't know, maybe it's like you were eating them with burgers as well, you know, that really kind of brought all the flavors. Oh, yeah. Perfect combo. Yeah. It just bounced right off each other. So, yeah. I mean, we'll have plenty of beef at so um, we'll do some stuff with that. Like, I love frying stuff. You know, one of my favorite foods is tonkatsu, like the pork cutlets. And I love, like, when I was in Japan, how they just have pork cutlet sandwiches that you can grab and go. And, you know, they're cut into little little sections and nice little snack that you can take on trains and subways. You know, stuff like that that we can have ready for people to just come by, pick up, you know, for a quick bite. I love all of that. And as we're talking earlier, this is the first really sustainable butcher shop in the San Gabriel Valley. And I was talking about how we've seen some sustainable butcher shops in other places in LA. Do you see sustainable butchery as a growing field? I kind of do. And especially in light of the recent pandemic uh, happening, I think people have raised awareness now to their health. I know some of my friends have, you know, really changed their diets because they weren't, you know, big cooks, but they started cooking more at home and realizing that, you know, one, it's hard to make those unhealthy foods that you get at a lot of, like, takeout restaurants. And, you know, ultimately they just weren't, you know, feeling well, um, eating, eating a lot of that stuff. And so, yeah, there's a raised awareness that I think people are focusing more on where they're getting their ingredients, sourcing their meats. So this type of sustainable butchery, I do hope, you know, I can't really say if I see too many more shops opening up, but hopefully the ones that do, like mine and, you know, Standings is opening one in Venice as well. So between me and Jared, hopefully we can kind of divide and conquer and maybe open up some more to spread it through LA. Like I said, it's hard in LA because of distribution and getting the product in here, as well as there's just not that many butchers that have the um, passion and skill to do whole animal as well, or to even see things the way that we do on, on how to make it more appealing and grow these types of markets. The Meat and Essentials, I thought was gonna be the first kind of butcher shop in this type to open a San Gabriel Valley, but, you know, I thought of the other day that Babette was one that was open for a while, but it didn't really get on my radar. I, and I have nothing against them. I just didn't get a chance to go out there. I don't know if you did or not over in Pasadena. And Melissa Cortina, she's really good butcher. I don't know her personally, but hear good things. And she trained under Dario Cicini. She's really well-knowledged in the industry. She knows, uh, you know, knows the tale. She was selling out of the uh, Hollywood farmer's market for a little bit. I think she came from a bakery, pastry kind of influence background. So she was doing meat pies and sausage rolls and stuff with meat and pastries. I never went to the actual location, so I don't know if they were actually selling butcher counter kind of meat. But hopefully she can, you know, get back up and we can do this all together for the San Diego Valley. The more of us that there are, the better it is. I did meet her. Yeah, she used to be at the Hollywood Farmer's Market. What did you think? Did you get any of her uh, stuff? I did, yeah. I got some of her broth I thought was very good. Yeah, I would love to kind of 
kind of meet and talk to everyone and say, you know, meet and essentials, like, budget-wise, I'll probably be starting with me and my partner, um, Mel, yeah, just kind of by ourselves. Kind of find a groove in the beginning where I bring full staff on. We'll try to grow it really as we kind of, like, go along. So if the vet doesn't work out in the end, maybe she can come work with me or something. I don't know. Yeah, because I remember talking to her, and yeah, she had a place, and yeah, she was telling me about how she liked to get another brick and mortar going. And certainly, I hope we can have many more sustainable butchers open all over LA. I think there's a lot of areas where it's still in need. Yeah, if you check out her social, she definitely has a lot of uh, input and interesting points that um, has to do with the industry and the butchery and the meat industry itself, um, how it relates to like customers and you know, again, like what we do, a lot of it is about kind of raising people's awareness um, of, you know, just where to eat it, what cuts to get, just the overall gamut of things. So, yeah, she's a good person to follow. Oh, she is, yeah. I remember having a great conversation with the Hollywood Farmers Market, very knowledgeable about the different farms and all of that. Back to your question about the growing field, I think there's definitely an interest in butchery, even among the general public, but... In, in a sense, part of the general public sees it as a bit of a fad and like, they want to play with it um, rather than work in it. And so the staying power is what worries me about how you get this industry to really grow in terms of the back of the house, the employees, and how to evolve it from just a sense of selling meat into something that they can really keep doing day in and day out and keep it interesting in terms of creating new product or thinking outside the box, reimagining how cuts are done. You know, that's one of the things that I have to think about, like to make myself stand out as a butcher shop is to question the old ways and apply my global influence to the way I can present cuts to make it appealing for you know, customers and the home cook to keep it innovative as well as, you know, provide the staples of, you know, everyday life for the family. You know, what we've noticed during the pandemic is that as people have been cooking more at home, especially on the West Side, I don't know if it's going to be over here, but a lot of guys have gone out and bought smokers because they didn't have anything else to do at home. So <laughs> this going to be a large insurgence of like, you know, these wannabe barbecue experts out there <laughs> I'm afraid of. <laughs> they're going to try to open uh, all these barbecue spots that aren't going to be very, hopefully, they did the due diligence and practice a lot, but we'll see. And look, as long as everybody's having fun, you know, and it's edible, it's not going to be Franklin's barbecue or anything, but if fun with it, you know, you want to cook some meats, those buyers. Um, one of the things that I potentially want to do and with the space that we have for uh, meat and essentials is, you know, there's a large parking lot in the back that can possibly have like monthly events or, you know, every two months or something. Um, invite some local chefs, um, local vendors and producers to, you know, have a kind of like some theme, you know, festival type of event, a uh, little market, uh, pop up in the back, roast up some animals, you know, something along those foodie event things. But keep it pretty intimate, a good look for San Marino, and then, you know, Especially these days, we've got to keep it nice and limited and controlled, right? So, um, yeah, be on the lookout for that. Uh, it'll come maybe towards end of the year or something. Oh, I think that would be great. So we're just about out of time, but before we go, can you tell listeners where they can go to learn more information about Meat and Essentials? We just launched 
the look of the brand um, on Instagram and Facebook, and uh, the handle is meat.and.essentials on Instagram and Facebook. We just launched the brand, and i got to get the website up soon. That's the process that we're at right now. Uh, we're waiting for the green light from the health department and the city to be able to start construction. So once we get that green light up, start doing a lot more posts because, you know, it's one of those things I don't want to really, you know, count my eggs before they hatch kind of thing. I want to really make sure that we're able to proceed before, you know, starting to blast it out too much. But, um, you know, things are looking good, I think. So, yeah, pay attention. Um, if, if you want to follow us on Instagram and Facebook, that would be great. You know, really appreciate it. And messages are always welcome in terms of uh, suggestions on what you want to see. Um, we're definitely going to open the invitation to the community to give suggestions on what they would like to see at the, at the shop. And hopefully it fits in line with everything that we want to offer. Um, and just really cater it to you know, give the community exactly the shop that they want. Right. And so then when you have the web address, we can see that on your social media and also on the appropriate Omnivore website and social media. We'll be glad to plug that as well. Oh, really appreciate it, man. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for coming on. And I look forward to be able to shop at Meet and Essentials and attend some of these monthly events once they get going. Yeah. I mean, we look forward to really getting open and inviting the stuff for you guys. And at the end, I want to have some fun doing this stuff. I, I love butchering. I love cutting. I love talking to people about what they're making and stuff like that. We just want to bring this shop and this experience to the San Diego Valley like you've never seen before. I think it's going to be, as things are getting better with the whole pandemic thing, once we open, be able to see everybody's happy faces and just bring some light to the world. <laughs> I think so, too. I think everything is going to be great when you guys get open, and we'll be sure to have more updates on this program and on my blog. That's all for this episode of The Appropriate Omnivore. Follow me on social media for information on the next episode. And to make sure you never miss any of my podcasts, go to iTunes and subscribe to The Appropriate Omnivore. You can also listen to all of my podcasts on my website, appropriateomnivore.com. There you can find recipes from the guests I interview, plus all of my articles covering lifestyles in the world of real food. Until next time, my pantry is officially closed.